Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? Donna Urquhart sets a new world record for the longest polar run of 1,300 kilometres. That's so many kilometres. Sarah Gigante wins the Tour Down Under and the Flames raise serious coin and awareness for breast care nurses. For the key story, we'll discuss the Sponsor United report that predicts that US sports sponsorship revenue could potentially surpass eight billion US dollars in 2024. So Big many, coin, isn't so it? So many dollars. My name is Chloe Doyton. <laughs> Not that. My name is Chloe Dalton. Could be Doyton. Doyton. And I'm joined every week on the show by my co-host Bez. We're coming to you from Gadigal Land today. Bez, how was your weekend? Yeah, quite one this weekend. It was actually really nice. A little bit of calm before the storm, I think. You're um, off to it. You've got a preseason camp this weekend. Weekend after. I thought it was this weekend. No, you're a weekend early. Wow, I thought I was going away to the Perth Sevens this weekend. No, Don't don't go to the airport this weekend, friend. I will avoid doing that. (laughs) Yes, no. So a lot coming up. So it was nice to have a quiet weekend. How was yours? Uh, Yeah, it was good. Headed out to the A-Leagues yesterday afternoon. Um, really good game between Sydney FC and Western United, which we'll chat about a little bit later on. Bit of vine time action. So good. How good. Let's take a look around the grounds. In ultramarathon, Australian ultramarathon runner Donna Urquhart set off from Union Glacier in Antarctica last month with the aim of running 1,300 kilometres on the southernmost continent. She was looking to set a new world record for the longest polar run ever completed. Starting on December 15th, Donna ran 50 to 60 kilometers a day in temperatures as low as negative 20 degrees Celsius, facing snowstorms and winds reaching 60 to 80 kilometers per hour. Could you imagine the wind chill involved in that? It's out of control. We chatted to Donna on the wrap probably a month or so before she set off on her adventure and chatted about the training she was doing. So a lot of times she'd set set herself up in a shipping container that would like try and blasting ice at herself. That pretty much, pretty much that. Well said. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> her 26-day journey tested not only her physical endurance but also her mental strength. She said after the epic feat, "We've had days where it's been minus 20. We haven't been able to see in front of us where our feet are actually landing. The wind has been incredibly strong, up to 30 knots or 60 k's an hour, which was quite scary. I wasn't expecting mentally to be so emotional throughout this experience." There has been, particularly in the first week, a lot of tears. I can imagine. Horrible. And gosh, it'd been quite an isolating space, wouldn't it? Like you think about people running a marathon. My producer, Bailey, ran the New York Marathon as we chatted about at the end of the year. And there was a lot of social media content about marathons and New York marathons, about millions of people come to the streets to watch you and cheer you on. Donna didn't have any of that. And all you would hear is the wind in your ears. And I want to know if she had a um, lip chapstick sponsor. Could you imagine? Oh, ouch. Well, she was very covered up. Like she had like a nose guard, like everything was very covered. Absolutely. Where is the doggo just barking away in the background? There's just a lot. You could hear, could you hear how delayed Bez and I's brain, our train of thought was just then. There's like some weird, like someone's cutting hedges or something and then there's crazy dogs next door. Wow, it's all happening today. Um, anyway, 
Back to Donna. Her record-breaking run, accompanied by her husband, Reese and a dedicated support team is not just about setting records. It's a symbol of pushing boundaries and inspiring the next generation. She said, my message is we are capable of so much, particularly in sport. So I think we need to go out and give things a go because we will surprise ourselves. I want to share this experience with women and young people, girls in particular, to show them what is physically possible when we harness the power of the body and mind. I love that. The achievement has been submitted to Guinness World Records and is awaiting official verification. But the most important thing to Donna is raising awareness and funds to support females to stay active and she hopes her achievement will empower others to do the same. And she's also yeah raising money. So I think we've shared the link if you want to yeah, contribute. In, it's, it was on our Instagram and I'll put that link in the show notes. Fantastic. In baseball, the Miami Marlins hired Rachel Balkovich as their farm director yesterday. What do you mean? <laughs> I was waiting for this to see my pause. Yes. <laughs> so I believe the farm is effectively a pretty cool word for their development group. You know, they're, I like that. Yeah, the little calves are growing. Calves. <laughs> little calves turning into big moo cows to yeah. play baseball. Do we feel like a cow is the most baseball representative kind of farm animal? No. Llama. They've got to be fast. They do things fast and explosively. Goat? Goat. Goat. So she is the first, sorry, so that places the history-making former minor league manager in charge of the team's player development. As the Marlins' farm director, Balkovich faces a monumental task of overseeing more than 150 players, managers and coaches. That's a lot. That's a lot of goats. Balkovich has been a driving force in baseball, having served as the Tampa Tarpons manager. How many times have people called them the tampons? A lot of times. I nearly called them them. What A tarpon is like a... <laughs> I know it's, it's a sea creature. I've got no idea. Do it's you want me to Google it? It's definitely a sea creature. I want to say it's like what we call a manatee. It's a fish. It's a fish. Oh, I they guess because they're the... Mi- fish of the Denis Megalops. Well, because like, I guess the Miami Marlins, the Tampa, like it's probably like a baby marlin, is it? Well, like a, um, a cousin to the marlin. Sure. They're the only members of the family Megalopidae. Oh, good. <laughs> she was also in charge of the New York Yankees single-A affiliate for the past two seasons. She's been a pioneer in various roles, including being the first woman to be a full-time hitting coach in an MLB organization. According to MLB.com's Rob Terranova, Balkovich brings cutting-edge analytics to the Marlins with a background in exercise science and a master's degree in kinesiology. Her journey includes time with the Cardinals, Astros, and the Yankees. This is pretty exciting. The Marlins, under the leadership of new president of baseball operations, Peter Bendix, have been revamping their front office, and they spoke about how important it is to have Balkovich in there, like in, in regards to just best person for the job. Yeah, huh. she's a female, but best person for the job. She'll join the likes of Gabe Kapler and Vinesh Kanthan in an exciting restructure for the club. Yeah, very cool. In cycling, Sarah Gigante, the 23-year-old Aussie cycling sensation. Was so good. People are dubbing it the performance of 2024 already. Keep going before we start waxing lyrical. All right, all right, all right. She delivered a major world tour title for her new team, AG Insurance Sudal, at the Santos Tour Down Under over the weekend. Her triumphant victory on stage three in Adelaide was nothing short of spectacular. She forced her rivals to crack on the challenging ascent of Wollonga Hill, securing, securing both the Tour Down Under general classification and the stage win. 
The final stage saw a tactical battle with Ruby Roseman Gannon briefly leading. We saw Ruby got the win the in week the nat- prior. Yeah, in the national champs. In the nationals. And all riders having to deal with some hectic cross wins. But Gigante's strength on the climb quashed any hopes of her rivals. Her manager, uh, Cervase Naven, emphasised her dominance, saying there is only one queen of Wollonga. So good. So good. Gigante holds the record for the quickest ascent up the climb, and she posted a photo of herself prior to the race in front of the sign displaying her red-hot time of 8 minutes 13 seconds for the dash up the mountain. It's been a rough journey to this point. She's suffered a number of broken bones as a result of crashes and recovered from a bout of myopericarditis, which is inflammation of both the heart muscle and the pericardium. I'm glad the physio had that, those words to say. Well done, I continue. refresh my anatomy for a little hot second there. <laughs> then last season, her former team Movistar released her from her contract, but she never gave up hope and speaking after the race said, I only raced one race last year but I've been going out there every single day and doing training sessions. I'm back in great form and I'm with my old coach, Dylan Lindsay. And I went from the very bottom of the hill. My teammates helped me. I was out of position, but they drove me up to near the front of the peloton. As soon as the road went upwards, I went. I switched over and watched the last, I guess, half an hour. So mm-hmm. I think when I turned on, that was probably 20 Ks to go on the stage. And yeah, they, they, no one was talking about it. Her team literally dragged her to the front of the peloton at the beginning of the climb and she just went. And when she accelerated, I think probably about a dozen riders went with her and they just slowly in ones and twos just dropped off the back wow. and she just kept that same pace the whole way up the mill. The mill? The hill. I was going to say mountain and I got confused. <laughs> the um, mole hill. <laughs> yeah. It was so impressive. And then when she got to the top of the hill, how far was there to the finish line? Did she have to hold it for long? It, no, it pretty much finishes on on the ascent, so That's I mean, quite it, cool. it flattens out a little bit. But yeah, yeah, right. No, she was um, she just went. God, it was impressive. I don't. I it blows my mind. I can't even ride up my hill on my pushy. Yours is quite steep. It is pretty steep. Thanks. <laughs> you look so validated. <laughs> in rugby union, the British and Irish Lions are eyeing a three test series in New Zealand in 2027, marking a pretty historic moment for women's rugby. The announcement is eagerly anticipated and expected to be confirmed during a press conference in London early this week. The decision comes on the heels of the Black Ferns, the reigning world champs, triumphing over England in the last two Women's Rugby World Cup finals, which has really developed a bit of a fierce rivalry between the two powerhouses, which will definitely, I think, set the stage for a well-attended and massively hyped Lions tour. So if you're not aware, the British and Irish Lions uh, a team, a men's team traditionally of, here we go again. Oh, dear. All of the countries of the United Kingdom and Ireland, um, the best of the best, I guess. And they, yeah. and every four years the men's team usually travels or travels at the Southern Hemisphere and plays either South Africa, Australia or New Zealand. How does, and do they alternate between, so it's like every 12 years it ends up back in Australia. Yeah, so we've yeah. got ours. Next year, I think. Yeah, soon. Yeah. Um, they, their last one was South Africa. So this one will be the first time the women get together. And it obviously will be predominantly made up of English women because they are quite dominant, mm. um, which will, as it will lend itself to that rivalry that has really developed between those two countries. Uh, Chief Executive Ben Cavalli expressed his enthusiasm, stating, it is extremely positive that a British and Irish Lions women's tour is possible in the future. And the move is definitely a positive step towards gender equality in, in that space. D- discussions about the women's Lions team began in 2019, though it's taken us kind of 
four or five years to get here. Yeah, right. But last year's feasibility study backed by Royal London delivered really positive initial findings and the 13-member steering group chaired by former Lions and Wales wing Ewan Evans played a crucial role in advancing this historic initiative and I for one can't wait. It's really cool, isn't it? And I'm so here for different sporting bodies capitalising on rivalries that are that are being built. Like we know for the Wallabies, we've got a big rivalry with the All Blacks and the men's and then also with England. But I think what's really cool in the women's game, that England-New Zealand rivalry because of those World Cup results is something that's huge. It'll be interesting because between now and 2027, we'll have the 2025 Women's World Cup mm-hmm. in England. Yeah, huge. So you're either talking about the Black Ferns potentially coming back, having won three on the bounce, or maybe England having won at home. So, Or maybe Australia, the Wallaroos having won. Go the Wallaroos. Go the Wallaroos. <laughs> we won't talk about the French. Play on. <laughs> In surfing, Sierra Kerr, another S Kerr. That's uh, oh, I didn't even put two and two together. Amazing. Yeah. We got some good S Kerrs in this country, that's How for sure. Good. Won the World Surf League World Junior Championships in Oceanside, California on the weekend. In an adrenaline pumping final, Sierra Kerr showcased her signature progression and flair, earning a near perfect nine and securing the world title, world junior title. The 16-year-old's performance was a masterclass and left American event wildcard Zoe Benedetto with no answers. Sierra said after the event, that was the craziest heat. It's amazing to win. I feel like I haven't been surfing that good this contest. I went in the final just going to leave nothing on the table. Kerr isn't new to the competitive scene, Bez. After a semi-final appearance in the 2022 World Junior Championships and a victory at the Australia Oceania Pro Regional, she set her sights on the 2024 Challenger Series and the potential to qualify for the 2025 Championship Tour. So those that aren't on the Championship Tour compete on the Challenger Series for a chance to join or rejoin the Championship Tour. Correct. And that uh, Challenger Series starts in May in the Gold Coast is actually the first event. Oh. So she's got a bit of time to wait and practice and get excited. Nice. The win does mean that Kerr has clinched a wild card spot in Bez, as you said, that 2024 series. And that means greater exposure and hugely important access to sponsors. The tight budgets in the surf industry make the achievements even more significant. I think it's really important that exposure at for all surfers because it, it can't be a cheap travel. It can't be a, no way. a cheap sport to travel around. They go to some pretty exotic places that Qantas don't fly to, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> So I think the sponsorship coin is really important and she is the real deal. I mean, obviously her father, Josh Kerr, was probably one of the best aerial surfers back in the day. Mm. I mean, he's not, he only retired probably about five years ago. It's not that yeah, back he's in the still day. pretty young. Yeah. Um, but she, oh, she's, I, she'll win a world title, I reckon, for sure. Cool. Very cool. For sure. On to the second S Kerr of the podcast. S Kerr the DOS has <laughs> undergone undergone her ACL surgery and she posted on social media. The post included a picture showing her right leg strapped up. It's funny that there weren't many details. I Actually, one of my best friends is a um, theatre nurse and she works with knees all the time. And Sarah was saying that after it happened, she's standing in theatre with all these doctors and surgeons and they were all talking about Sam Kerr's knee. Wow. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's really Something cool. about that just made me... I don't know. It was it was a pretty cool moment. They were, mm. they were all wondering what knee it was, and of course, 
So funny. Anyway, the post included that picture showing her right leg strapped up and a smiling cur giving a thumbs up to fans with the message on the road to recovery. And she's also keen to know if anyone's got some Netflix recommendations. There were some good ones in the comments. So, yeah, jump online, I reckon. Shoot, shoot Sam your, your suggestions. And I would, I would have recommended her, and I meant to talk about this last week. Over the holidays, I finally uh, watched Under Pressure on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched it yet. It's good. Four episodes. If you haven't watched it, she probably doesn't want to watch it because she's in it, obviously. Fair enough. Um, it follows of the American U.S. women's national team's journey through the, the World Cup. And I think what I liked about it is it's quite open and honest. They don't... Mm. They don't shy away from sharing the negative press that, that the team got. Yeah, right. It's definitely worth a watch. Add it to the list. Sam, add it to your list. Watch yourself. <laughs> in a bit more football news in the A-Leagues, it was Vine time in the grand final rematch on Sunday. You just love that, don't you? I love I'm so here for <laughs> Vine time. So she had a bit of a calf complaint. She came back from a hamstring at first and then had a bit of a calf complaint. So she came back again. It was just a bit ridiculous. So it was locked at nil all. Um, pretty pretty even battle, I would say. Western United probably dominating possession a little bit more than Sydney FC. On comes Courtney Vine in the 60th minute. And she's just like, she just like hits the NOS. Like she is very explosive. And I know, I can't remember if I was talking to you or someone else. She's talked about the fact that prior to her initial Matilda's selection, she needed to find a point of difference and she wanted that speed and agility to be the thing. And she has like, she just is a cut above the rest with that stuff. She came on. She's super rapid. I think if she, like, she's so quick, she just needs to develop that other foot a little bit more. Mm. Like she's still a bit one footed, but my goodness, she's so fast. She's very fast. Especially international level, she looks quick. A-league level, she looks rapid. Rapid. Yeah. And she just creates opportunities for them. Um, anyway, great cross from Princess Sabini, who I also love, uh, for, for Vine time to put it in the back of the net. It was, it was a great. great. Finish. It was her third goal of the season, securing Sydney's second victory in six matches. FC defender Charlotte McLean told Paramount Plus after the match, there were a few honest chats at halftime saying, I'm so proud. We've been really pushing to get a win recently. We've been struggling a bit in the front third, but I'm so proud of the effort. At halftime, we thought they were showing more heart and we said that's just not allowed in our stadium. We came out and gave it back to them. Yeah, and I think that's been one of the not issues. Not in my house. No, in my house. <laughs> one of the issues for Sydney FC is their injuries have unfortunately plagued their forwards, which makes it hard to score goals. <laughs> The victory for Sky Blues snapped Western United's three-game unbeaten streak, dropping them to fifth in the standings, while Sydney FC climbed to third, extending their seven-match seven undefeated run. Shout-out as well, Chloe Legazzo, I thought was excellent for Western United. Again, you can tell that Matilda's level of, of skill and game awareness from someone like Chloe Legazzo. The upset of the weekend during Unite round had to be the Western Sydney Wanderers securing a third straight win with a 1-0 victory over Liberty A-League leaders Melbourne City at Combank Stadium. Holly Casper's second half strike won it for the Wanderers, but keeper Kaylee Collins was huge between the posts. The American shot stopper produced a series of strong saves. How many S words can you get in one sentence? If you add in Casper's as well. <laughs> Throughout the 90 minutes and was arguably the best on ground. The Wanderers now sit fourth on the ladder, just two points behind rival Sydney FC, while Melbourne City are still on top of the ladder, five points clear of second place Perth glory. Exciting times. In basketball, 
speaking about exciting times, the Sydney Flames secured a super important 87 to 84 victory against the Perth Lynx on Sunday, celebrating the club's inaugural pink hoops clash at Kudos Bank Arena in the best possible way. The game was played in front of a league season record 5,138 fans, and they were treated to a show by reigning WNBL MVP, Kayla George. She's killing it. I love her. Sorry, I was too far away from the microphone checking the camera. She's so good. <laughs> I wonder if it's just like a little echo. <laughs> George finished with a season-high 28 points, 10 rebounds, and three assists. That performance saw her named the first-ever Tiana Mangakahia MVP award winner. The Flames really needed that win to stay in touch yeah, of the WNBL top four. It moves them to eight and eight with two games in three days coming up at the Key Centre. But isn't it? Firstly against Adelaide on Wednesday and then Canberra on Friday. Both tip off at 6.45 AEDT and a pair of wins will put the Flames right into the playoff mix where they belong. Go the Flames. Go the Flames. Let's take a look at the key story. In a bit of revenue news. Revenue news. Revenue news. Just revenues. <laughs> hey, <laughs> nice. Sponsor United is a leading global sports and entertainment intelligence platform who aim to deliver actionable data and insights to build stronger marketing partnerships. On Friday, they released a report titled 2024 Predictions, Sponsorship Industry Poised for Further Growth and Innovation. I feel like it's like, you know, it's going to be something good. That report <laughs> predicts- it's a, it's a positive title. It's positive. The US sports sponsorship revenue could potentially surpass $8 billion US dollars in 2024, with the market expected to add, this is the part that we like to hear about, a billion US dollars in earnings from new deals. So included in those new deals and a large reason for the potential record-breaking revenue is the potential for huge growth in women's sport, with the report projecting unprecedented growth in revenue for U.S. women's sport properties. Sponsorship in the U.S. women's pro sports market in company, encompassing the WNBA and WSL, WTA and LPGA have surged, marked by a 25% increase in both brands investing and partnerships in 2023 versus the previous year. 25% increase. It's huge. And I know we've discussed this element of it before, but I think where people need to continue to look at pieces of data like this is the men's men's sporting leagues, competitions, college, professional level, we know they bring in a huge amount of revenue. But where are the huge growth areas for men's sport? There's not this huge amount of change. There's there's certain things like the Live Golf Tour that are almost reinventing themselves, right? Men's competitions are going to have to reinvent themselves in order to get the percentage of growth that women's sport has the capacity to do. Yep, you've nailed that. Summed it up really well. Thank you. That a pleasure to be. <laughs> Buy my books. That growth, <laughs> that growth, coupled with the recent $920 million NCAA deal that we discussed last week and the NWSL's landmark $240 million, these are all US dollaroonies, media rights deal that were, was announced last November, will absolutely result in greater visibility for female teams and athletes. And again, they, the visibility is such a key component to these discussions because once those athletes become visible, then the product is there to invest in. Mm-hmm. That will also have an effect on the growth of NIL deals, which is a name image likeness deals, particularly in women's college sports, where female athletes lead in engagement and number of brand partnerships and that further underscores the ever-increasing financial viability and mass appeal of women's sports sponsorship. How cool. 
We covered Bez on our socials this week, slightly off topic, but still on topic. Caitlin Clark, and there's some really cool data coming out around the sellout crowds that she's producing when the Hawkeyes travel to different locations. Interesting because she's got a choice of do you continue in college or do you go early for the WNBA draft? She's she's going to the Fever. So Indiana Fever have got number one draft pick. So she's like, am I going to Indiana or am I staying for another year? Yeah, and it's really – it's a hard – pick but i think this nil the change in the nil deal means that she could potentially earn more money playing college basketball than she can pro basketball which is a crazy thought she will absolutely earn more money staying in college Mm. it's interesting isn't it it's quite bizarre but the college game is killing it again this morning it was like it's like a monday morning treat for me i got to although lsu lost but they were playing against auburn and massive crowd sold out auburn tigers crowd huge it was yeah it was really good. Let's take a look at what to watch. The Australian Open is underway and all the tennis action is in Melbourne for the next two weeks. That means epic tennis in our time zone, which we love. Love it. It's live on Stan Sport and on the Nine Network. So good. So I'm, um, I'll be in Melbourne tomorrow, Tuesday, episode day release. So I'm heading with my friend Tash to watch a bit of tennis. Oh. Ayla Tomlanovich, I'll see you there. Tough for some. How good. Where was my invite? The Netball Would Nation. to come? <laughs> I've got a real job. The, ne- <laughs> the Netball Nations Cup starts this weekend. Our Diamonds are in the UK where they will face England, New Zealand and Uganda over the next two weekends. Interestingly, the Diamonds have never met Uganda on the international stage and will come up against the world number seven ranked She Cranes during the second weekend. Uh, you're going to have to tell us why they're called that. And I'm already mad about it. Yeah. I Doing the research last night, I was doing a little bit of Googling into the She Cranes name and it is the men's Ugandan football team are called the Cranes and they're super, super popular in Uganda, which is great. They decided just to call all the female represent- Uganda representative teams She Cranes. It's not good and just, it doesn't even make sense. Just be better. Be better. Be better. Give them their own identity. Yeah. There's got to be more than just one type of bird in Uganda. Oh, I was picturing like a really tall crane that builds buildings. Why would a t- football team be named after well, a crane? Well, in relation to the netballers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Dear, oh dear. That is, wow. Okay, first up for the Aussies is New Zealand this weekend. The two rivals face off at Ovo Arena in London. The game will start at 2 a.m. AEDT on Sunday morning. Boo to the time difference. <laughs> Set the alarms, though, if you're keen. Watch live on KO Freebies. It will be free on KO Freebies or Foxtel. Oh, good. In football, the Western Sydney Wanderers will be looking for four in a row when they head up the highway to face the Central Coast Mariners in Gosford. The Mariners need a win to stay in touch with the top six and will be sweating on the return of Kaya Simon, who looks – she looks very close. She's got to be close. Oh, I hope so for her sake. Um, it's a, It's been a long-awaited return from her ACL injury. The match kicks off at 7.45pm on Sunday and you can watch it live on the 10 Network and Paramount+. Plus. That's the wrap. Wrapped it up. Send it on to someone who you think might enjoy it. Yeah, definitely no more than three because it could be spam. As, yes. <laughs> no, but do. Please share. Please share, like and subscribe. See you next week. Bye-bye.